Hi, I'm Daniel Lenzian, host of Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios. Western New York Soundstage is a podcast that looks to explore Western New York's creative economy through a series of conversations with artists, musicians, producers, directors, and authors from Western New York and beyond. On today's episode, I speak with Glynis Lation, stage director of Brigadoon at the Shaw Festival, located in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, Canada. Now, a quick 40-minute drive across the Canadian border, the Shaw Festival, named in honor of Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw, focuses on presenting plays written by Shaw and his contemporaries, as well as modern and contemporary plays that are in line with Shaw's spirit. The festival typically runs from April to October each year and features a diverse repertoire that includes classic plays, musicals, and contemporary works. For the 2023 holiday season, Lerner and Lowe's Brigadoon returns to the Shaw stage. The story of this classic musical revolves around a magical village that appears out of the Scottish mist for one day every 100 years, and what happens when two men stumble upon this village and fall in love. This feast of song and dance is an inspired evening at the theater, with rich costumes, lush musical arrangements, and incredible singing and dancing. The show runs through December 23rd, and tickets are available at shawfest.com. Brigadoon was directed by Glennis Lation, who is the guest on this episode of the podcast. She details what brought her to Brigadoon, the brilliant revisions made to the musical, and why this is a great evening of theater during the holiday season. It was fantastic to talk to her. Glynis, thank you so much for speaking with me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic. I always like to start these interviews by asking, is there a story from your youth that connects uh, you to what you do now as a theater director and theater professional? Yes, there is, as a matter of fact. <laughs> my father came from a very small village in Wales. My mother, a farm in Scotland, so not obviously uh, connected to the arts. But for whatever reason, my father's brother went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London and became a working professional actor. So I think it was in the blood. I think it was in, in whatever inspiration strikes in terms of passion for theater struck very early with me. I was taken to the theater as a very young child, and it's, it's been a part of my life ever since. Was there a moment when you knew, ah, I've done it, or I'm a theater professional, or was it like <laughs> sort of a kind of a cloud, like the mists of Brigadoon parted and you realized, oh, I'm doing this now? Uh, it's it's really going to happen. I think for me, the, and when I think of it now, I was at university. I was, my degree is in art history, and I was going to be a museum conservator. But I was lured always to take theater classes. And we worked one summer uh, as a troupe, as a young troupe. In Canada, we had something called Opportunity for Youth. And so we were funded and off we went. And I think it was when I first received that $25 check that I realized <laughs> that maybe I could be a theater professional. Fantastic. Well, I'm so glad you did. You have become a director of incredible renown, and your work encompasses all genres. You direct plays, operas, Shakespeare, Shavian dramas. I'm interested to know a little bit about your process. What about a play or an opera or a musical reaches out to you and says, you have to do this or you have to direct it? That's, that's such a really terrific question. Because for me, unlike some 
wonderful colleagues who are more auteur directors, I find that I have to be inspired by the source material. That's where I live and breathe, and that's where my work comes from. So uh, whether it is in music theater, whether it is in opera with the libretto and music, that combination, or straight theater plays, uh, I have to connect to the source material. I have to find my heart and soul in the work and find a way that I think I can give life in the 21st century to that vision whenever that original vision was created. But always for me, it starts with the work itself. What was the playwright? What was the librettists? What was the composer's intention? What are they interested in? I do a lot of research because that's something I really enjoy. I find a lot of visual references from the period of the work and and then gradually, gradually, the vision that I want to share with an audience comes into fruition. Mm, thank you so much. You are a teacher and I'm sure an excellent teacher. How does uh, your work as a theater professional inform your work as a teacher and vice versa? I think that I've been lucky in that I've never, I never planned to teach, but as I, my career grew and I was asked to do master classes and then one extraordinary opportunity to become head of the opera program at the Banff Center, which is a magnificent institution here in the Canadian Rockies, much like Aspen and many of your other centers in the United States for the development of young performers. So I began to share and impart my process, my ideas, but also, and most importantly and significantly, I got to hear what young people were involved in, interested in, how they were growing, what they were interested in doing, why they were attracted to the arts, uh, why Shakespeare in 2020. Three, twenty-four. Why, and uh, why Shaw? That kind of mutuality of experience, of creative experience, is why I am still very passionate about teaching. In fact, I'm going to be. There's a wonderful college here in Victoria, British Columbia, Canadian College of the Performing Arts, and I'll be doing a series of master classes next week on text and text exploration. So I know that I will learn as much from that group as I hope they will learn from me. The idea that there isn't a process, a singular vision. I don't have the idea, but I have over the course of a long career now, experienced many different approaches. And if you're a visual person, if, if you are like me, if you love to research, or if for you, it needs to be oral. If we need to talk it out, we have to talk the text. I'm not particularly great at reading text, for example. It's, it's all of that kind of experience. And I think one of the wonderful things about where the arts are right now, where the performing arts are right now, is the openness to exploration of all kinds of methodologies and all kinds of different approaches. I think that makes it exciting and keeps and certainly keeps you on your toes as a creator. I sometimes tell my own students that I, I teach acting and it feels like, you know, you're the conductor of an orchestra and you have to teach everyone to play their own individual instrument, but you can't play a timpani the same way you play a piccolo. You'll break that's it. Exactly right. And it's or, so it's sorry, just interesting. Ahead. No, no, that's just great. That's the 
fun of the conversation. And it's just so great to see like, oh, this is the way that your instrument works or that landed with you or let's lean into that or, and it's just so surprising. And and I love when that cracks open or when a text cracks open in front of you and you think, oh, I never even saw that. And then here it is in front of you. Yeah, I love that analogy, the the orchestral analogy, not just because music theater is very dear to my heart and mm -hmm. opera, but but I think it's true the different qualities, the different energies, the uh, the coming together. I mean, it the cliche, and it it's more than a cliche; it's a truth of theater as a collaborative art form, and an orchestra is when it becomes as one is this extraordinary thing because there's 30, 40, 50 people. And yes, there's perhaps a maestro conducting, but really it's that entire group realizing a vision with participation in very different ways. And it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's exciting. No, it gets me up every morning to do it again. <laughs> So keep working on it. Well, you brought together an incredible group of collaborators for Brigadoon. How did you come to Brigadoon? Did you know the piece before you started to direct it? Was it presented to you? How, how did you come to the piece? I was lucky enough to be invited by Tim Carroll quite early in his uh, uh, time as artistic director of the Shaw Festival, Niagara-on-the-Lake. He, as the artistic director, was looking at a series of, of musicals and, and had settled on this golden age musical by Lerner and Lowe. Now I knew it from the film with Gene Kelly. I'll be honest, not my favorite. I kind of went, oh, really? So as a director who loved the Shaw Festival, I was there a lot during the Newton time in the 90s and and 2000s, I thought, okay, let me uh, go back and listen to it again. And so I began my exploration through the music. And all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten just how magnificent that score is. And interestingly, by my experience in opera and, and classical operetta made me understand that Lowe really does come from a very specific European tradition. He understood, he understood, he uh, underscoring, he understood storytelling through the lyric, the music, how the energy of, of the experience is, is driven by the music. So I was very excited by the music. Then I'm reading the libretto, but then magic happened. And for me, the magic was that Tim said, Tim Carroll said, uh, no, 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 we are interested in producing an adaptation of the original libretto by Brian Hill, who is a wonderful Canadian music theater artist, director, performer. We knew each other at Shaw in the earlier days. And he had, with the permission of the Learner and Low State, which will tell you a lot about how well-regarded he is, was able to make some really clever, significant changes to the book that the minute I read it, I went, oh, oh, okay. This, this, this means something to me now. Now I understand my path in. Now I feel I would be a good person, or at least I know now I want to be a good person directing this particular production. 
it was a very interesting you don't often get that kind of change of libretto it's it wasn't just about editing it wasn't just about making it tighter or more um language in terms of language or use of language it it really did some very important things in terms of the spirit of the piece uh, the place of women in the piece was obviously significant for me but most most importantly as a scott as someone born in scotland uh, it he he made it that the idea of Brigadoon was not because the village wanted to escape evil witches, which was the fairy tale aspect that Lerner was so attracted to in the original, but rather made it very specific. It worked exactly correctly to the time and the era. And that, of course, is the time of the Highland Clearances, which some of your uh, listeners may not be familiar with. But that was when the Scots Highlanders supported Bonnie Prince Charlie uh, against the odds and were massacred, soundly beaten, uh, especially in battles like Culloden in mm. Scotland. And their culture was decimated. They were uh, driven off their land. They were not allowed to gather. They were not allowed to speak their tongue, their Gaelic. They were not allowed their clan signatures and tartans and so on. That's serious. And that, that was grounding. And so the idea of making a covenant to only reappear once every hundred years seemed to me to make a lot more sense than getting away from some baddies. So it just, it, and it seemed to speak very much to many of the issues we're facing today of cultural genocide and so on. So uh, I thought it, it was a very clever, very astute move on Brian's part. So that, that became our way in. That became what we were interested in doing. That is so beautiful. You know, I, I had not really um, experienced Brigadoon. I knew it from kind of high school theater in the States. And I saw the production, which I believe is related to this production in 2019. And you were the director of both. That's correct. And the 2019 production, and this is not because I'm on the call with you, was one of my most favorite experiences in the theater. And I had I had a dear friend, Chris, who I was in a show with, who said to me that they loved the show. It is one of those things that has stayed with me so much that I am seeing it again. Yay! Again <laughs> because I want to go back to Brigadoon. And I was so just moved by it. I thought it was so beautiful. What was part of the decision to kind of bring it back for the holidays? Is there any connection with Schmigadoon, the sort of comedic couple? <laughs> Did that come up in conversation? Why do we have to wait less than 100 years to see it again? I think, honestly, in 2019, it was the wonderful, wonderful audience response. We were not alone in loving that story, loving those characters, loving the wonderful world that creative team put together around Pam Johnson's set and design, Sula Page's costumes, the wonderful choreography of Linda Garneau. The audiences really did respond. And Tim is um, an artistic director who is connected to that audience. He's very involved in listening to them, how they respond, why they responded. They decided quite early um, before, in fact, the uh, end of that run that summer, that they were going to store the show and that it would come back in two years. 
and then the world changed. Yeah. Uh, we all went through something staggering or changing. The COVID experience changed so much and so many things. And of course, we didn't come back in two years. But this, the set was in storage. And it was fascinating that Tim, who had been waiting for, it was always planned to be part of the holiday season. He felt it was a show that families could enjoy without it being, say, specifically a Christmas or a holiday show per se, but something enjoyable for the holidays. Great. I don't think any of us truly understood how much the experience of COVID in between the 2019 and now the 2023 revival would change things. Because I think that that production, people loved it. They, they responded to the music. They responded to the idea of love and, and the older couple, the younger couple, the two sisters, all kinds of love story. But what we didn't know, I think, until we started to share it with an audience in 2023, is that in the text itself, words were words like, tell me, lad, is the world still such a troubled place? And all of a sudden, the first preview, audiences would go, oh, they gasped, there, there was nods, there was ohs, there was all kinds of actual responses to that line and so when mistress lundy uh, which is one of the changes she's a leader in the town who's a woman as opposed to the male in the original mistress lundy is the keeper of knowledge in the village and when she said i guess we all need a little brigadoon in our lives we get on occasion we get applause so i think people have a, a tenderness for this story now that is specific to what we've all experienced and the isolation we all experienced and the fear we all experienced just just a few years ago with with the COVID epidemic. It's pretty extraordinary how theater is so of the moment. You know, this is this is a musical that was written in, just after World War II. It's a golden age musical, a golden oldie. But it has an immediacy right now in terms of the story it tells that is as contemporary as anything else that I think is being made right now. It's quite an experience listening to audiences now. As you bring it up from 2019, the sort of moment that I keep revisiting in my head, and I'm, again, because I didn't know the source material, was the Mistress Lundy scene. And I just started crying. It just hit me so hard. Even now I find myself getting a little teary-eyed about it because I found it to be so effective. I, I loved the character of her. I didn't realize that she had not been with the show from the inception because she feels so integral to the world of Brigadoon. I know, I know. <laughs> well, clearly the idea of someone who loved Mr. Forsyth, who was the minister who who did the, the wish, who set up the covenant, but at the, every village has a keeper of knowledge. So I think it, it was also so smart, so clever to make that part for a senior woman. I think it it was beautifully played by Patty Jamison, and now Claire is brilliant in it. It's just one 
one of those roles. And it's lovely because it's the by far the longest dialogue scene in the musical. And it comes at a, it's the, you know, one of those tricky moments in theater. It's about an hour into the first act. At first I was a little nervous. I thought, oh my goodness, I hope the audience really stay with the story. But they do, don't they? I mean, they, they find it compelling and that she reveals to these two young Americans why the village did what it did and how important it is to the village, why they valued their culture above everything and their need to stay together. It is moving and it's a treat to watch every night. And it really comes in the place where you have really, as an audience member, fallen in love with Brigadoon and experienced sort of all of these aspects of the town. And then to kind of have this sort of gift at that moment, is <laughs> such a kind of just an incredible work of theatricality. Well, thank you. And I, I, I can claim no credit. I'm just grateful for it. And it, it's one of my favorite scenes to work on. We, we, we spent a good time working on it. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm obviously sold on the play, but you know, some people I've mentioned, oh my gosh, with the excitement in my eyes, I'm going to see Brigadoon this weekend. I'm going to say Brigadoon. What? Yeah. I mean, what would you say to those audience members that might be a little on the fence or might be thinking about some sort of kind of older thing that they may not enjoy? Honestly, I think Brigadoon, if you love music and incredibly clever lyrics if you enjoy the idea of a positivity if you are at heart a believer that love will triumph if you like learner himself needed to heal after he was in world war ii and obviously i think tommy albright is a very personal creation for him i think anyone who loves love should love Brigadoon. Thank you. Um, I'd love to ask just because we're sort of coming to the end of our interview that you have had an incredibly storied career that I mentioned earlier. Do you have any advice for young people, young artists, young performers, or people that might be sort of wanting to make the leap into performing or art or artistry or directing? I think if you are passionate about theater you have to be because it can be a slog it can be difficult um, it can be frustrating you can think it's going fine there's an old joke in Canadian theater well there is a ladder to success in Canadian theater it's just lying on the ground I think <laughs> it, it sometimes feels like that yeah so honestly I think if your aspiration is fame and fortune, there might be other and easier ways to find fame and fortune. But if you love the art form passionately and are committed to it, grab hold, do whatever is it presents itself. If it's a school tour, you'll learn a lot. If it's going to a small company and working on a small project, great you will probably make friends that you will have for the rest of your career in life. Grab on, just do whatever, do as much as you can. Keep yourself active, set your own goals for auditions. Don't go in saying my goal is to get the role. Make your audition, your experience, your creative experience. Uh, today, I want to be able to make more eye contact. Today, I want to be able to share maybe my passion a little bit more. To just give yourself different goals, different 
different things and just know going in that the rewards for yourself have to be in the creative process itself not in fame not in fortune but it it can be a, a sustaining and magical kind of work and one that i'm grateful for having been part of Thank you so much. Um, those are my questions. I always love to end an interview by asking, is there anything that you feel left unsaid or anything that you would like to share with our listeners before we close? I think I'm not going to just say this because it's you, Daniel, but you're a very good interviewer. So it makes conversation as opposed to, oh, well, stock answers, stock, whatever. It's been a pleasure. And I'm so grateful for anyone that is interested in exciting audiences to come to theater, to come back to theater, that the experience of COVID has changed our world and, and we need to reach out to our audience and invite them home. And that's really important. Thank you so much for your time today. It was really extraordinary talking to you. And I have to say again, uh, the production of Brigadoon is extraordinary. I can't wait to experience it again this weekend. Um, and it sort of lives forever in my mind in 2019. And I can't wait to sort of go back and see it again. I sincerely hope, you know, for our Buffalo audiences, the Shaw Festival is just a quick jump away, less than an hour away. And to see the sort of world-class, incredible work that's happening up there is not to be missed. Um, I certainly hope that we'll see your work there again very soon fingers crossed i'm sure you can't say anything but um, <laughs> it, your work is extraordinary and thank you so much for your time and generosity today thank you thank you it was fantastic to talk to glennis brigadoon is an unforgettable night at the theater and i am glad buffalonians can see it again at the shaw festival in niagara on the lake ontario tickets are available at shawfest.com and the musical runs through december 23rd this episode was produced by jessica marinelli Addison Schoonmacher engineered this episode. In addition to this podcast, you can check out our local event guides posted bi-monthly on buffalorising.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios. <laughs>